Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. All right. A lot of issues that need to be addressed that have cropped up since my last episode. But I'm going to limit myself to two in this episode. The first, player complaints about the aggregate scoring in the in-season tournament and the in-season tournament in general and the value of the in-season tournament in general. The second is a courtesy to a loyal listener who asked that I address why Ime Adoka has had such a profound effect on the Houston Rockets. We've had a number of teams, by the way, that have been also Rans that are now showing life. The one exception being the Detroit Pistons who somehow managed to go winless in the entire month of November. But Orlando, Minnesota, Oklahoma City, the Houston Rockets, they're all showing signs of life. And I'm, for one, I'm happy to see it. But let's start with the aggregate scoring issue. For anyone who isn't aware, a tiebreaker for advancing in the in-season tournament was scoring differential, as in the margin between points scored and points allowed. As a result, regardless of whether or not the outcome of a game had been decided, some players and teams were playing to the final horn. Teams came into games knowing that they couldn't just win, but had to win by a certain margin to make sure that they advanced. Which means teams with a sizable lead weren't just dribbling out the clock, but were continuing to try to score. And some players had a problem with that. Jason Tatum was one of the most recent to express his displeasure. This was after the Celtics lost to the Orlando Magic 113-96. Now, I went back and checked the box score and then watched the final four minutes of the game and I'm really at a loss to explain what Jason's issue was. 
I believe what instigated his complaint is that Franz Wagner scored on a layup with nine seconds left and the Magic leading by 15. That's not a crazy series of events. And keep in mind, Celtics coach Joe Mazzulla only went to his subs 20 seconds earlier. Jason Tatum played 11 and a half minutes in that fourth quarter. The, the, the Celtics were trying to win this to the very end. And the Magic were clearly still looking to run a play on that final possession. And the Boston subs, while they were subs, defended as if they were trying to stop it. This wasn't one of those where everybody's just standing around and a guy decides to go down and windmill dunk something. It wasn't that at all. And not only that, but after Wagner scored, Celtic sub Delano Banton tried to go the other way and score on a layup with three seconds left. He just happened to miss. Nevertheless, this is what Tatum had to say after the game. It's all about respecting the game and respecting your opponents. So that part, I'm really not a fan of because if you were on the opposite end of that, you would feel some kind of way. So I understand. So just try to win the game however we can. I I don't know what he's talking about, honestly. Well, I kind of do, and it's why I'm going to spend some time on this subject. But how did France disrespect the game? The Magic got the ball back with 32 seconds left. So had they not shot, they would have taken a 24-second shot clock violation. They basically had to take a shot. Now, some teams will just let the clock run and then drop the ball. But as I've noted, there was reason for the Magic to want to score. And the Celtic subs were clearly still still competing. So it wasn't like he walked in and scored on a defense that was no longer trying. I'm not, I don't get where the disrespect for the game came in. And clearly, Tatum didn't know the circumstances. Because Boston came into the game with a point differential of plus 17 and a record of 2-0. Considering that you're playing in this tournament and that there are unique rules and this is your profession, I would think it would behoove, Jason, to know what the rules are. Boston was 2-0, had a point differential uh, differential of plus 17. The Magic came in with a 2-1 record and point differential of plus 5. Now, the first tiebreaker for the pool play was head-to-head results. And the second was point differential. The Magic's one tournament loss was to the Brooklyn Nets, who were also 2-1. And And what ended up happening, bottom line, is the Magic, the Nets... And the Celtics all ended up with 3-1 and one records. And only the Celtics ended up advancing. So, but, but the Magic didn't know that at the time. They were competing. They knew that they, there was a good chance that they were competing for one of the two wildcard spots. Which they were and which they ended up not getting. Now, what made all of this even better, even richer, is that... The Celtics, in their final pool play game, went to far more extreme measures to improve their scoring differential against the Chicago Bulls. 
Head coach Joe Mazzula had his team intentionally foul Andre Drummond, a poor free throw shooter, in order to expand their 32-point lead midway through the fourth quarter. I'm talking with like seven and a half minutes left. It was so over the top that Bulls coach Billy Donovan walked down the sideline and approached Missoula and asked, what are you doing? Now, Missoula explained, hey, it's the point differential thing and et cetera, et cetera. And Billy seemed to accept the answer, although afterward he said he still felt bad for, for Drummond. And we will get to that. But I don't know if Missoula was doing it as a way of protesting the in-season tournament or whether he was simply trying to create as big of a margin as possible to ensure the Celtics advanced. But going to a hack of Drummond in the middle of the fourth quarter with a 32-point lead was certainly above and beyond anything I saw any other coach or team do. And it's really wild, the dichotomy between Missoula going over the top like that and his best player saying, yeah, I don't like that strategy. It, it, I mean, and so... Tatum made these comments before Missoula took this action. It's just one of many bizarre things that have me questioning the Celtics overall. I like the scoring differential. I don't know that I want it in every game, but I like it in this tournament. It adds a wrinkle to the game that never has existed before, to my knowledge. And it's an interesting one. Uh, Candace Parker, who was sitting in for Shaq on Inside the NBA astutely brought it up in regard to the Warriors-Kings game. The Warriors needed to win by 12 to an advance, and at one point had a 17-point lead. They ended up losing the game. The, the lead got whittled down in the fourth quarter, and you could tell that the Warriors were pressing not just to hold the lead, but to expand it. And Parker pointed out at least one possession where the Warriors were pressing to score, and she wondered if they would have taken the same approach if they were just trying to win the game and not by a 12-point margin. Normally, you'd expect a team to milk the clock on every possession and shorten the game, much like the just watch the Oklahoma City Thunder drum the, the Los Angeles Lakers. For the last four minutes, they were walking the ball up the court. You would have expected the Warriors to do that, except they had to win by 12. And by continuing to look to score, they actually improved the Kings' chance at a comeback because it created more possessions. And the Warriors were just not hitting their shots. Opened the door. And Sacramento walked through it on a crazy fallaway bank shot that Andrew Wiggins defended well. Malik Monk just ended up making a crazy shot. Um, a couple turnovers by Draymond Green and Steph Curry down the stretch were big factors, but the Kings ended up winning. Now, I reserve the right to change my mind about the scoring differential and the in-season tournament, but for now, I'm good with them. And maybe that's my soccer background, where aggregate scoring in certain competitions and in-season tournaments have always been part of the landscape. What this rule exposes, though, is just how much the competitive spirit of the NBA has been watered down. Billy Donovan confronting Joe Missoula because he reportedly felt the strategy was disrespectful to Drummond. I don't get that at all. I mean, I get it because I've seen coaches do it, but in my mind, if Drummond doesn't want to be embarrassed learn to shoot free throws. And if Donovan doesn't want him to be embarrassed, 
don't put him in the game or pull him as soon as that strategy is employed. Or don't have management sign players who can't make free throws. Coddling a professional at anything because they don't know how to do a part of their job just seems preposterous. Tatum's complaints raise all kinds of issues. Let's start with how it reflects that players have become conditioned to see competing as something that is done selectively. It's not about going all out to win for every minute you're on the court. That, to me, is how you respect your opponent, as you try to kill them. There Today, it feels like it's competing only when the situation absolutely demands it. And if there's an opportunity to ratchet it back, there's plenty of rationales for it. I saw a post from a reporter about how, by the Knicks advancing in the in-season tournament, they earned themselves extra games against the Milwaukee Bucks, whereas if they hadn't advanced, they would have been playing the lowly Washington Wizards. And it was presented as, did they really do the right thing? The suggestion was that this could hurt their regular season record, which could then hurt their playoff seating, which theoretically could impact their chance of advancing in the playoffs. It's just so much rationale for, yeah, maybe we shouldn't be playing that hard. Maybe it shouldn't mean that much to win every game. Analytics focus on statistical efficiency. And I blame this mindset in large part to analytics. And maybe a few reporters who are into analytics who aren't particularly competitive. I'm sorry, there's something that just grates on me. I've, I am competitive at everything, uh, probably to a fault. I, I don't know that it's, it's, it's healthy. I, I wish I could, I could manage it a little bit better, but I just, that's, I'm, that's how I'm wired. And so when somebody brings up not playing hard or like an, an explanation as to why trying to do your best and win is, is really not the smartest thing, I have a hard time with that. Uh, so, as I said, analytics focus on statistical efficiency, improving the statistical odds at accomplishing something. They in no way consider the mental or emotional aspects of a team. To put it simply, if the Knicks think they're title contenders, they shouldn't be looking to duck anyone. They shouldn't consider it necessary. In fact, they should welcome the chance to play stiffer competition during the regular season to hone themselves for the playoffs. Pummeling the Wizards and getting an extra win or two isn't going to do that, prepare them for the playoffs, nearly as well as facing the Bucks, win or lose. Now, to be fair, the reporter, I didn't get the sense, was taking a side or suggesting the Knicks screwed up. He was just presenting a mindset that some Knicks fans may have. And I guess the problem is, is they presented it as, as if it was a rational or logical one. The fact that anyone would suggest that mindset is acceptable or understandable, that's the problem. We've become too smart for our own good. Competing, looking to win, has become conditional. And I understand why players buy into it. Not playing hard all the time gives them a greater chance of extending their careers, which allows them to make more money or perhaps uh, put their names higher in the record books. LeBron James is Exhibit A. Never forget that his stated goal was to become the first billionaire athlete. Not my words, his. 
from the very, very beginning. Not be the greatest player ever, not win championships. He wanted to maximize his earning power. And he's done that extremely well. Funny thing is, Michael Jordan beat him to that goal of being the first billionaire athlete as well. I digress. What troubles me is that players are making so much more money than their predecessors, predecessors that this approach feels greedy and misdirected. I still believe that it is far more honorable to be great at your craft, to pursue accomplishing something memorable or valuable, than just see how much money you can squeeze out of it. But I sense, I sense that is a quaint, quaint mindset these days or at least a less popular one than maybe it once was. The other issue with Tatum's statement is that it not only reflects a completely new view of respecting the game and your opponent, but nothing the Magic did could be construed as showing up the Celtics. Tatum's perspective seems to be that respecting your opponent is being judicious about how badly you beat him. Try to win, but don't do more than is necessary. Anyone who has competed knows when someone is disrespecting them or trying to show them up. It's not an action. It's an attitude. And yes, Franz Wagner scored. He didn't reverse dunk or tomahawk it or put on a dribbling display first or pound his chest afterward. He finger rolled a layup essentially because it was required to keep his defender from blocking it. Now, what advancing or winning in the in-season tournament really means is a subject for another day. But for a young team that hasn't been to the playoffs in a few years, any chance to gain experience playing in a one-and-done format would be incredibly valuable. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It would have been incredibly valuable to the players and the Magic Management, who are going to have to make decisions on who among their young stars they should keep. And there's no better way to find out who you should build around than seeing how they respond to the elevated competition in the playoffs. The in-season tournament offers a potential early substitute glimpse for that. The regular season is really not the best litmus to figure out who you should build your team around. Not if you're, you have the ambition of building a, a playoff team. You need to see how guys play in the postseason. It's different competition. It asks more of some player, asks more of all players, and some players can answer the bell. Some can't. I'm not blaming, by the way, Tatum for his perspective per se. There are a bunch of cultural elements in today's world that I could point to as the reason for what we see as a reduction in competitive spirit. I watched Paul George get beaten on his home court by a Denver Nuggets team missing Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, and Aaron Gordon. Three starters. And as soon as the game was over, he walked to the sideline to hug someone in a courtside seat. It seemed like he was completely unaffected by what I saw as an incredibly embarrassing loss. I don't care if it was his mom in that seat. 
I don't care that it's just one game of 82. I'm well aware that one of the keys to being a pro basketball player is not to ride the roller coaster of wins and losses. This isn't the NFL or college football. There isn't enough time or energy to go up and down three, four times a week with every win or loss. And I know that may sound strange to some fans, but it's true. It would be counterproductive to be that emotionally invested in the result of every game. Doesn't mean you don't try to win every game, but win or lose, you got to be able to let it go as soon as, as soon as the game is over. If you didn't, it would guarantee burnout halfway through the season, emotionally. And just as an aside, I saw a few fans on Twitter suggesting that the solution to making the season more competitive isn't having an in-season tournament, but simply reducing the number of games in a season. And they actually said, it's a no-brainer. They didn't mean it was a brainless suggestion, but that's what it is. Because if you cut the number of games in half, you're either cutting the player salaries and owner revenue in half, or you're doubling the price of tickets and concessions and everything else. The players and owners aren't going to stand for the first countermeasure, and fans certainly shouldn't want the second one. So, who's actually not working with their brain here? I'll leave that to you. Back to the lack of competitive spirit in the league these days. It's why the in-season tournament was created in the first place. And here Tatum, and a few others, are suggesting that playing to the whistle is not sporting. Now, I appreciate that uh, Devin Booker came out. A couple things about Devin Booker. I'm warming up to Devin Booker, believe it or not. One, hit a game winner against the Knicks in Madison Square Garden. And walked back to the bench like, of course I did. That's what I do. I love that. That's not what Devin Booker has always been. He's generally letting everybody know, I just hit a shot. And he usually does it before the game's actually decided. This was beautiful. He decided the game and then went back, didn't say a peep. Call me old school. I loved it. I love it when guys act like, of course I did that. That's what I do. As opposed to trying to tell all the world, yeah, see what I did? Anyway, the part that I have to pull back from is he then said afterward that he felt like he did something historic. Devin. Steph Curry setting the all-time three-point scoring record in Madison Square Garden, that's historic. If it was a shot like that in the playoffs to win a playoff series, that would be historic. Doing it, yes, it was in Madison Square Garden. Doing it to win a regular season game, I'm sorry, dude, it's not historic. It's a nice footnote in your career. That's not even that. Hopefully, you would be doing more than that. Uh, the other part that I did like about Devin, another thing that has me warming up to him, so two out of three things here, is he said, I like the aggregate scoring. I like playing to the whistle. Who shouldn't? I agree with him. I love that. So, two out of three. We'll keep working at it. Because, and I hate to make this reference, but I don't see other way to, any other way to make the point. 15 years ago, a player would be embarrassed embarrassed to say what Tatum said. The prevailing attitude was, if you didn't like what an opponent did, you let them know the next time you played. Don Nelson uh, employed the hack-a-shack 
I think it was Hackashack, but he did. I think he did it to a number of players where he would foul them. You never had an opposing coach say, yeah, I didn't like that. They might not have liked it, but Nelly was taking advantage of a weakness. That's what you did. You didn't complain that an opponent was taking advantage of a weakness. You figured out how to cover up that weakness. So the prevailing attitude was if you didn't like what an opponent did, you let them know the next time you played. And not by punching them out or confronting them, but simply playing hard. Finding a way to counter what they did or go at them. Showing them that it wasn't in their best interest to show you up. That you were motivated to get back. But the players that might have passed that along are few and far between on rosters these days. And the league has just become so antsy about any sort of confrontation or signs of toughness. I'm really, I'm really flabbergasted that they've, they can't see that this is hurting the entertainment value. I think they, they think they're protecting the entertainment value, but they're actually hurting it. They're undermining the entertainment value by not allowing any emotion or physical play in the game today. Teams overall, instead of having a few vets, prefer keeping a two-way G League player over a vet who might make clear what is and isn't an unwritten rule and what circumstances they do and don't apply to. Which is why I don't entirely blame Tatum. The NBA culture has been softened by league rules, generational wealth bestowed on players simply because they're the best player on their team, regardless of how much winning that team actually does. Sitting out games, even against rivals, is totally acceptable, courtesy of load management. I blame coaches in part as well, because it has become a strategy not to show their hand by playing an opponent they expect to see in the playoffs at less than full strength. Greg Popovich is one of those that has, has instituted that. So as much as we think of Pop as being the gold standard, there's some things he, that he's done strategically haven't been in the best interest of the game, in my opinion. Players are hobnobbing with the owners as worried about their outside interests, their business interests, their podcasts, as they are what they're doing on the court. Or so it seems. But Tatum's attitude is why it's also hard for me to imagine him leading a team to a championship, even one as deep and talented as the Celtics. Because a lot has changed, but having a great player, your best player, be your emotional ramrod, or having a player that's one of your best players, to, to have that backbone, to have that will wants to win at any cost... That's essential. And you got to tell me if, if, who that is on this current Boston Celtics team. I thought it might be Marcus Smart. He wasn't quite talented enough to get the job done. And that's, that's the critical aspect. Like you have to be a critical piece of the equation. Draymond Green has been that for the Golden State Warriors. And certainly Steph Curry does not back down. He does not shrink for the moment. He does not get small the way I've seen Jason Tatum kind of lose his confidence, lose his aggression. You simply can't have that from your best player if you're going to win a championship. And in crucial situations, 
The Celtics are going to look to him first. Even as deep and talented as they are, his talent demands it. And he is, as I said, he's come up small in too many situations for me to believe that he has it. I may be proved wrong. It may be in there and it's just waiting to come out. Sort of saw that happen with LeBron James. But generally that happens and it happened with LeBron because Dwayne Wade was their best friend and looking at him saying, you have to get us there. Who does that? Who serves that role for Jason? Who can? Who can demand that of him? Who can say, I have taken us as far as we can go. You've got to be the one who takes over. I don't know. But my experience in covering the league is that the leader of a championship team has to have a bit of white shark mentality. I've seen guys fail, but they did so going for it. Their errors were ones of aggression. I think of Kobe Bryant's four air balls against the Utah Jazz and him telling me afterward with a smirk, I'd take every damn one of them again. The Sharks don't care about decorum or the right basketball play or analytics or anything else in their way. They're getting to their prey or they're leaving the chamber empty trying. Now, maybe Tatum wins a ring because the Celtics acquire a white shark. But if you're a Celtic fan and you're counting on Tatum to be the shark, you're hoping and wishing for a transformation that I can say I've only seen once that I can recall. And that was LeBron James. It happens now and then under the right circumstances. For LeBron, it was acquiring those shark characteristics from Dwayne Wade and Pat Riley. But it's hard for me to think of him as a full-bred one, a full-bred shark even now when I'm seeing a hot potato the ball to Austin Reeves to avoid being on the foul line to win a game or trying to force a pass into a double-covered Anthony Davis. A shark, the kind of shark I'm talking about, would never do either of those things. Yes, Michael Jordan passed it off. He passed it off to a wide-open Wide open, Steve Kerr. All right, on to Ime Odoka, who has the Houston Rockets with, well, the last I checked, it was a winning record at 8-7. and seven. They may be at 500 now that I'm recording this. But after 15 games last year, they were 3-12. and 12. They didn't win their eighth game until mid-December. The year before, they were 1-14 and 14 at this point and didn't win their eighth game until mid-December. I got the sense that my man asking me to address this was looking for an X's and O's explanation. And there's some of that, but it's really not that. It's not some extraordinary system that he's brought in. Udoka's success in Houston truly illustrates is how impactful a coach who simply holds players accountable and has players willing to be held accountable can be. I'm always amused when the social media analysts break down film and they want to attribute a team's success to its schematics as if there's something magical about a diagrammed, diagrammed play that decides games. Like there's, there's a genius over there with a clipboard and he's drawing up things and that's what creates the success of a team. It's, it's really kind of funny because, yeah, now there are coaches who are certainly great at drawing up 
ATO after timeout plays or last second ones, but those plays prove to be effective because A, the coach has a great grasp of who the opponent has on the floor and recognizes the weakness. B, he has players he can put on the floor that are capable of exploiting that weakness. And C, he's gained enough trust with his players that they are fully committed to executing his plan because they are convinced it will work if they do. Take away any one of those elements, and I don't care how brilliant or inventive or unique a coach's clipboard diagram is, it's not going to work. Conversely, if it is the simplest play and he has recognized the opponent's weakness and his players are smart enough to execute what he's asking them to do, they are going to get a good look. The success of the play isn't born in the 30 seconds it takes the coach to draw it. It's in the pregame work done analyzing the other team's talent. It's acquiring high IQ talent and developing it, and it's creating faith between the coach and his players. The Rockets have done a better job of all that this season than last. Udoka, for those who have never met him, is an imposing presence. Uh, probably you can pick that up on TV. It's as much or even more so in person. And yet, you talk to him and there's there's suddenly a, <laughs> a very personableness to him. But that's not the first impression you get. There's a, f- a fieriness that just resonates off of him. And Steven Silas, his predecessor, simply did not have that. He, nope, Steven knows the game. Son of a coach. He's smart. He's truly a nice guy. But Yudoka puts off vibes that scare you a little bit, or at least put you on notice not to, try, not to trifle with him. And that is an invaluable, a very valuable asset for an NBA head coach. I'd say that more than everything and more than anything is the difference that he's made. He has a certain gravitas. He has instituted defensive principles and defensive accountability. Minutes are determined by whether or not a player is executing the game plan. Offensively, they were last in assists last year. This year, they're 11th. The ball moves. Players move. Two seconds, ball is gone. Next guy's got it. All that said... I'm not sure the Rockets would be capable of playing this way if they had the same roster as last year. Sharing the ball is all well and good, but that means you need players with vision and solid decision-making. The Rockets had a short supply of players last year who had either skill at an NBA level. They were a full-on romper room last year. The two vets were Eric Gordon and Frank Kaminsky who came over midway through the season and logged more DNPs than games played. And Gordon was set free at the trade deadline, joining the Clippers. Moving off of Kevin Porter Jr. and Dacian Nix and Ty Ty Washington and Trevor Hutchkins and Darius Days and Josh Christopher and bringing in Jeff Green, Fred Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, Jock Landell, and Reggie Bullock. I don't know how you measure maturity, but that's a boatload. It's not that the previously mentioned young guys were all bad guys. They were just young, being led by other young players. And that's just not a recipe for success. They didn't know what they didn't know, and they didn't seem inclined to listen to Silas when he tried to tell them. 
Udoka also has the standing to run the offense through whoever deserves to have the offense run through them, which is why Alperin Sengun seen, has seen his usage rate jump from 21 to 26%, despite all the new veteran additions. You would think with a Fred Van Vliet coming in that wouldn't necessarily bump up, but it has. Now, I was surprised to find that Jalen Green's usage rate, one of the young guys that they held on to, has held steady at 28%. But within that, he's had to be more selective when it comes to shooting, and he has had to earn his minutes by playing defense. His rating in that department dropping from 122 last season to 109 so far this season. Udoka is also showing the same deft ability to rein in Jalen and provide him opportunities to cut loose, thereby earning his trust that he did in Boston with Tatum and Jalen Brown. It's also a matter of when he's using Sengun. In their last in-season tournament game against the Mavericks, he went to Sengun consistently down the stretch. Jalen got his points and shots playing off of Sengun and Van Vliet, not the other way around. So sometimes, as we all know, stats don't tell the whole story. Or they tell a misleading one. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United We Cast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And so I can't quite announce it yet. There's been a big project that I've been working on. And in the next 24 hours, I should get the news and the go-ahead to be able to announce it. So I will do that in if I don't do it on social media, which I probably will. But if for some reason I don't, in any case, I will talk about it here, uh, give you sort of the details here. And beyond that, trying to get back to more of a regular uh, <laughs> regular production of episodes. I know I've been very inconsistent, a lot of time in between, but I promise it will get better. It will improve. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.